0: This week on Hacker in the Fed, your car may know all the details about your sex life. The Swiss fined an insurer $3 million for horrible cybersecurity practices. The U.S. Departments of State and Commerce were compromised because of a two-year-old Windows crash report. Iran and North Korea hacking crews have active campaigns against security researchers. And two victories over Russian hackers for the U.S. government.
1: Hector Monsegur was responsible for some of the most notorious hacks
0: Former ever FBI Special
1: Agent Chris Tarbell. Hackett and FBI informants Participated in some of the world's most infamous
0: hacks. It caused up to $50 million in damages. A life in the shadows. Cyber attacks on the rise. Welcome to Hacker in the Fed. I'm Chris Tarbo, former FBI special agent, working my entire career in cybersecurity, and now founding partner at Naxo. Check us out at Naxo.com. Joined as always, Hector Monsecour, who's my friend and podcast co-host. Hector formerly was a black hat hacker who once faced 125 years in prison for his many years of hacking under the code name Sabu. Our stories collided in June of 2011 when I arrested Hector and convinced him to work with me at the FBI. Hector is now a red teamer, researcher, and cybersecurity expert. Hector, how are things going?
1: Oh, man, pretty well, pretty well. I'm I'm glad to hear you're full of energy and you're ready for this awesome episode.
0: I am ready to go. We just did an hour-long conversation, so I feel like it's the the pre-podcast but good good stuff. Uh, hopefully, we don't rant as much as we did last week. Uh, we really went off on uh, on some things in cybersecurity last week. So hopefully, we can stay a little bit more calm this week. Yeah, I definitely
1: have to apologize to the audience. I kind of went on a, a couple of tangents there. Got a little heated and spicy, but I'm, I'm feeling good this week. I'm pretty chill.
0: I think they liked it. We got a good, good audience response this week. So uh, I was happy to see it. Um, they like it maybe when we get a little heated up. Um, but it's weird. We get you we get user suggestions and listeners suggestions back and forth all the time. It, it's so funny. Like people will suggest, Oh, you should have more guests. And I'm like more guests. Uh, those, those don't do as well. And then yeah, everyone's got an opinion. So it's uh, we're trying to make this as best as possible. You know, we have some plans for October. Um, so yes, I'm, I'm excited about having some things come out. So that'll be good. But um, you got a fun week ahead of you. Don't you? Yeah, indeed. I am traveling to the Caribbean,
1: I'm traveling to Puerto Rico. Actually to- to meet up with some folks uh, that are part of the security industry over there and uh, hopefully make some friends and, and uh, you know, have some good discourse. I mean, I'm, I'm always up for a good discussion, so
0: looking forward to it. I'm jealous. We, I haven't been to Puerto Rico since the last time you and I went. It's been a couple of years, I right? know, man. That was that was a couple
1: of years ago. It was very nice, too, that
0: place. You yeah. had a good taste. I'd love to go go back and get some mofongo or something like that. I, I love that stuff, <laughs> so... Oh, yeah, yeah, it's classic right there, man. I've claimed for ago. years that I would go to Puerto Rico and just, like, rent a Jeep and drive around, but I, I haven't done it yet.
1: So let's do it, bro. Let's do it. Um, I have to go travel inland okay. to kind of go into, like, where my family came from. It's a small town over there. So, yeah, I, I could use a driver, man. If you want to take a ride, let's get a Jeep. Let's go. Yeah, that would be fun. That'll be fun. Maybe, maybe we'll do that
0: sometime. What's the best time of the year to travel to Puerto Rico? Like, I don't want to go when it's a billion degrees. <laughs>
1: Well, it, it, all, it really all depends on, on you know, your, your tolerance level and what it is that you actually want to do. I've heard every possible answer when I've asked people that are either Puerto Rican or not Puerto Rican. Some say you should probably go in November during the winter time, December, et cetera. Um, that's a perfect time. In fact, a lot of folks that are from there and live here in New York, I know that like, they leave for the winter and come back during the beginning of spring or so. So I'll, I'll give you that answer. That's probably the best one. It really depends though. If you like the winters here, then I think you're fine. You could go there during uh, spring.
0: I spent two and a half weeks there once on a case, and uh, it was uh, it was in the summer and it was pretty warm. So, and we also stayed. We had to stay hidden. Uh, there was over there was like 200 FBI agents on the ground, but we had to stay on a military base. So we had to fly in all separately, and that's why that's why we we're there so long. Is that they can only fly in a certain number per day without like tipping people off that we were coming in. So, so yeah, it was good. It was, it was you know. It was fun. I'm so glad we did it, but you know, it was a long time to be be on uh, what's called Tdy or temporary duty. Uh, oh. Temporary duty. No, temporary duty. I don't know if the Y stands for anything. It's probably the Y from duty. Yeah, probably. Oh, you said duty. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Enough of that talk. Let's get into our stories because this is a thick episode. Okay. Thick. Extra C's. Extra C's. Like six of them. So first story is that insurer fined $3 million for exposing data of 650,000 clients for two years. So the Swedish Ouch. authority for privacy protection has fined the insurer TRIG Hansa $3 million uh, for mm. exposing its online portal with sensitive data uh, of hundreds of thousands of customers. Pretty crazy.
1: Yeah. And it happens much more often than one would think. Um, you know, I have to say that I, I'm... I'm not as surprised as one may be, because I'm always kind of doing pen testing work and I'm looking at different web application security issues. And for those of you that are either learning about web application security or from are familiar with the OWASP Top Ten, then you would probably you would have a good idea as to what a, a IDOR or insecure direct object reference may be. But yeah, this was this was a tough one, Chris. A tough one for the victims, obviously, the people that had to kind of deal with this the consequences Um, for the company itself. Now they have to deal with fines, regulations and brand reputation damage. But then of course, you know, how do you move forward from here? Especially in that industry. I have no idea how, uh, how insurance providers are regulated in Sweden but I'm sure that it was a super hassle once this was discovered.
0: Yeah, so let's go into a little bit of what, what happened. So 650,000 customers had been impacted. Personal data, health information, um, condition details, financial information, contact details, social security numbers, and insurance details. Now, I don't... Social security numbers, I thought those were just U.S. Maybe maybe somebody else has social security numbers too, but or whatever they may be in Sweden. But anyways, so clients got... Existing clients or potential clients got an SMS or an email. Uh, in that email or the, the text message, there was a unique web address uh, for a quote page. Um, and so a customer sent a tip in that through that unique URL, you could just change the client number and get access to all the other clients. So the backend data was available without any other further investiga- authentication. So just changing the number and the numbers were sequential. Not a good way of setting things up. Oh, no. I mean, it's a
1: classic IDOR. You know, it's it's something that, you know, we, we've kind of given examples to the audience in the past when it goes in web application and they, you know, they see an identifier, a number or some sort of uh, mix of characters. If you start to change the number and sequence in this case, um, you would get someone else's data, right? Um, it is extremely easy to exploit. And once you identify an IDOR vulnerability, you're able to iterate through an entire... Uh, data set relatively quickly and easy. And, you know, unless the organization has um, uh, audit logging or their access logs are being uh, audited for anomalies or anything that's weird, they won't even know this is happening. So uh, it's a tough one. It's a tough situation. And and it's a vulnerability that uh, can go under the radar for a very long time, Chris, because we're not talking about execution of commands. We're not talking about injecting commands or injecting a SQL query. This is something that would would or could be done with simple iteration.
0: It's simple URL calls, right? You're just calling one URL right after another. That's exactly right, until you've reached the end. And once
1: you reach the end, you'll know, because you probably get an error message. Hey, this record does not exist.
0: So, yeah, so the data was exposed to unauthorized parties for more than two years, between October uh, 2018 and February 2021. Uh, the investigation confirmed that at least 202 cases of customers' uh, PII was exposed and then, this is probably why they got hit with the big fine, is the uh, insurer failed to remedy the issue at the time, even after it received reports of the flaw. So, they didn't do anything, even when they knew about it. The The governing body, the regulating body here, it says that it indicates a severe shortfall in data security and risk mitigation measures. So, $3 mm-hmm. million dollar fine for this one.
1: That is tough, but I understand the consequences here. Like I get it. And I'm glad that the Swedish government and the respective agencies took appropriate action, especially... Post uh, disclosure, if you are uh, an organization, in this case, you know you're a very important insurance provider, and of security vulnerabilities reported to you, and you do not take uh, you do not take action to remediate that issue, then that's a big problem. Okay. Um, and, oh, and by the way, Chris, uh, the Swedish, in fact, do have uh, a social security number. It's called the pers- person number without a B. Person number. Oh, okay. And it actually consists. Of 10 digits in two groups separated by a
0: dash interesting right so let me ask you is three million dollars enough so we went on a big tirade last weekend about how you know you and i and all of our listeners spend so much time and effort and money into uh securing our data and making sure that we're having the most secure possible but then you know, for the we have an insurance company and we have to give them our data. We have to give them our medical condition. They have our medical records because they're paying for our medical bills. Um, so, you know, we, we have to do it. We have to give them that information. Uh, I think last week I said we had to give them credit card information. Uh, we have a question about that if we get to questions this week or, or next week. You know, so we have to give And then these companies don't do their due diligence to protect our data. We spend all this effort, are forced to share our data, and then they don't protect our data. So you know, it follows that tirade that we had last week is $3 million enough. So 3 million divided by 650,000 customers that were impacted is $4 and 62 cents. Is that enough of a slap on the wrist? Do, do, is Or is my data worth more than $4 and 62 cents? Yeah, absolutely. Because they could sell it for more than $4.62. Why don't they just go in the black market, sell all of this data, 650,000 customers' data, pay the $3 million fine, and walk away with a profit?
1: You're 100% right. Because at this point, judging by the information that the, that the uh, attackers could have gotten, um, they basically have, in this case, 650,000 or whatever it is, identities that they could leverage. That's insane.
0: It's more than identities. I've said this for a long time. Steal someone's PII, their personal information, steal their name, their social security number, their address, their telephone number. I can get new ones of all those. I can get a new name if I have to. I can get a new social security number if I do. The health information. I cannot get new health information. My health history is my health history. All of a sudden, I'm not going to get a new one. Um, so that information carries with you. That, that information is uh, you know, it's, it's valuable because I can't change it.
1: Yeah, that is a tough one. It's a tough cookie to crack. And so, you know, I, I was actually reading the comments on this article here um, by uh, Bill Tallis. And the first comment is literally $3 million, question mark. Oh, just that's just the cost of doing business, I'm sure. Equal cynicism from, a, from our commenter here, our commentator.
0: Well, and it's a, an insurance company. Who do you think is going to pay the $3 million? Does it, is this going to raise, you know, rates? Premiums. Yeah, yeah premiums rates. just go up. That's it. <laughs> Like like people think that these fines to these companies, the companies eat that, or it comes out of the CEO's bonus or something. It doesn't, they just raise the rates. It's, it literally is the cost of doing business. Oh, damn it. I'm back on my rant again, Hector. You've got me there. I was
1: about to, I was about to stop you. I was like, you know what? It's a good rant. I gonna let it be. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Oh, these companies. And I, you sent this story over just to, to get to me again. I
1: know you did it. I'm sorry. It, it, was, it, was, uh, it, was, it was a honeypot, bro. I got you. Exactly.
0: <laughs> $3 million, my ass.
1: Yeah, I mean, think about it like this. Um, I'm sure they could easily deal with $30 million, 10 times over. So, yeah. Does this make a dent? Not so much. Again,
0: what does deal but with I, it? Deal with it is just raise rates. Pretty much. <laughs> now
1: again i'm not sure i know with with the recent changes in the sec you know if this was a us um, or insurance provider that's publicly traded then it gets a little bit more complicated right you know those rules i found to be very interesting we talked about it like last month or so when they were initiated or, or disclosed if this were to happen here now with those new sec rules in place for a insurer or insurance provider that is publicly traded it's possible that unless they follow the guidelines, that that three million dollars would be nothing. They would probably get hit with much more.
0: Yeah, and I'm not looking to bankrupt these companies. I just want them to do what's right. Like, like, like this whole part of them not fixing this when they found out about it—that's bullshit. That we, we shouldn't allow that.
1: Yeah, well, it reminds me of a certain company back a couple of years ago that. uh they were running an old, outdated version of Apache Tomcat, I believe, or something, something or another. One of the Apache open source projects. And they were compromised. And, you know, half of the half the United States were breached as a result. You know, and, and what did they get? They had to deal with a fine. They had to deal with a little slap on the wrist. Uh, maybe a, a, a Senate hearing to discuss the implications of such a compromise. You know, but I'm hoping that these companies are learning. Even if, yes, $3 million is, is laughable. But I'm hoping that these companies will start to implement actual procedures and, and follow their policies, because there's no way an insurance provider has no policy to deal with this scenario. And if they didn't now, they didn't before. I hope they do now, because if a vulnerability report comes in, or if a security issue is disclosed, or is even identified by an internal team, I would hope that they would a- approach very similar to like an incident response or a, a rapid a rapid uh, response and just deal with that issue and take the service down if they need to. It's complex. I get it. But, you know, we need to start holding these companies accountable. That's my take.
0: Just do better. Just we expect more. Don't implement a URL that has sequential numbers and no other authentication. I mean, just like the New York City subway story we talked about the other week. Just put a a different, put a pin, add a pin to it. You know, hey, we're going to send you separately in an email a pin that goes along with this, you know. Just make it a little bit different, you know, make it a little bit harder. Just just, just do better. That's all I want these companies to do. Just do it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, well, now we're going to be sued for that one. Oh, man. Uh, damn. Sorry. Next article before we move on. So we've done these before, Hector. They're always a big hit with people. So let's do this one. Um, here's, the, here's the title. You ready? If you've got a new car, it's a data privacy nightmare. Oh, bad news. Your car is a spy. If your vehicle was made in the last few years, you're probably driving around a data harvesting machine. So Hector, this is a classic cybersecurity news article. They're sucked me in with this next line. Are you ready for (laughs) it? Yeah. May collect personal information as sensitive as your race, weight and sexual activity. My car activity. is collecting our sexual activity, everybody. <laughs> now we've got to read this one. We, got it. we have to read this cybersecurity article because now your car is collecting your sexual activity. How is it doing that? I'm excited. I would love to know. Oh, well, we got to get through the whole article before we get there. Oh, damn. So, so this is uh, done by Mozilla Foundation's Privacy Not Included Project. Nice. Um, And they went to 25 brands of cars and kind of went through and did some tests. Uh, The brands included BMW, Ford, Toyota, Tesla, Subaru, and many more, Volkswagen. But every major car brand failed to adhere to the most basic private security standards um, in the new internet-connected models that Mozilla's foundation found out of this one. So are you shocked? No, (laughs)
1: I'm not shocked at all. I would love to see more of the technical details of the tests that they did, and uh, I know Mozilla. You know, there's a lot of security folks over there. They're very privacy oriented, so I'm sure they did a very thorough look at at these cars. I mean, even looking at their like privacy not included URL here, which we should we should link. They have some really good bullet points and uh, some details. It's kind of the discoveries. That um, they had, but also even talking about things like meeting a certain minimum security standards, which it seems like uh, some of these, some of these uh, uh, car manufacturers did not reach uh, or, or, or even try to reach. And there's some, there's some uh, surprises here. Some companies that you would think, you know, were uh, probably more security or privacy conscious, or conscientious, definitely had some major issues here. And I hope we could go into a little bit detail of you if you want, Chris. But sure, go ahead. It's, it's fantastic stuff. So I, I just want to kind of quote here uh, the Mozilla Foundation on some of their findings. So, and there's some surprises here. Okay, so like for example, Tesla is the only is only the second product we have reviewed to receive all of our privacy things. The first was an AI chatbot we re- reviewed earlier. And what set them apart was earning the untrusty AI ding. The brand's AI-powered autopilot was reportedly involved in 17 deaths and 736 crashes, and is currently the subject of multiple government investigations. Some of that stuff you've heard before in the news. Some of it you haven't. Um, the fact that you know uh, Mozilla highlighted Tesla as uh, a company that has you know some very interesting or peculiar results in this uh, in this engagement um, is very telling.
0: Can I? So just add to that. So I there. I just listened to a Lex Friedman podcast today, and uh, they they had uh, Walter Isaacman. Um, who's oh, he does yeah. is bio, he does uh, biographies Yeah, he's a big biography guy he's doing it on Elon Musk and so the, he, this whole episode and go ahead and listen to Lex Friedman so Lex does. I was on Lex Friedman um, if you guys want to listen to that that's a great episode Lex and I sat down for like four hours uh, and put out an episode um, but this episode he was talking about Elon and what AI they're doing with the AI um, so they were writing tens of millions of lines of code like if a double yellow line don't cross over if red light put on brakes apply brakes this way and I think Tesla has now made a switch and they're like, we're just going to take really, really good drivers and let AI learn their driving habits. So I think that's what they're using the information for is for their autopilot stuff. So a little bit of a plug there for Alex Friedman. And I uh, just uh, wanted to add kind of, that's what he was saying that, that, that uh, Elon, you know, Elon listens to this show. So, um, Elon go on. I'm, I, Hector's the only one to talk shit about you. I, I don't. <laughs> so, um, so. it's not me it's Mozilla Foundation brother <laughs> oh Come that's on. true yeah, yeah yeah you're just reading the story I'm just reading
1: the story brother but yeah using AI mind you I mean how does how does Tesla identify their best drivers and then you know what if what if even one of those drivers starts to taint the pool assuming you have 150 drivers in your pool and you know two or three of them you know having a rough night here and there how is that going to affect the AI's you know, data set,
0: right? Well, hopefully those are anomalies that the AI can determine. I mean, they can see it is another thing. I think there's I, I think this was just a mention on the podcast, not to give it away, but I think they might be using um Uber drivers with very high ratings. Oh, okay. That's is the, how they're finding the, the five stars only Uber drivers because there's a I, there's a lot of Ubers out there driving Teslas.
1: Oh yeah. You know, that's a very good point. It makes a lot of sense. And I've been in some five star Uber drivers that were fucking terrible, but for the most part, most of them are pretty good. They're solid drivers for sure, especially here in New York with all the traffic. I mean, they're, they're able to weave in and weave out. So I'm interested to see how you know what, what those results are. And I, I know Tesla is a for-profit business; they probably won't kind of release maybe statistics. Uh, I would love it though. But now, but kind of going back to what Mozilla came uh, kind of came back as you know as some of the results uh, or, or what they call not so fun facts about these rankings. Um, the vehicles that had Um, made reference to collecting sexual activity seem to be, you know, uh, some of the creepiest. In fact, you know, Mozilla says that they're part of the uh, creepiest categories of data we've ever seen, ever. That's big, considering Mozilla probably has seen a ton of data in in their their previous research projects. Um, But I just kind of want to quote them here. It's worth reading the review in full, but you should know that it includes your sexual activity, and not to be outdone, Kia also mentions that they collect information about your sex life and their privacy policy. Oh, and six car companies say they can collect your genetic information or genetic characteristics. So uh, this, is a, this, is a, this section here is a reference to Nissan and Kia, kind of referencing sexual activity and sex life. Um, the findings themselves were in the privacy policies. So ladies and gentlemen, remember always to read that fine print. Take a look at your privacy policy when you buy A vehicle apparently because they may want to collect your sexual activity whatever that means
0: yeah apparently in the nissan they put it they they put their policies that they collect information including sexual activity health diagnosis data and uh genetic data though there's no details about how exactly that data is gathered i'm guessing it's like a catch-all that if it's like somehow they're listening to your phone connected conversations it's uh, they're able to categorize and say, well, we warned you that the, the you, things you talk about on the phone, we're going to know about. You well, know, I can imagine that, you know, eventually they'll come out with a, like a
1: peripheral device that uh, acts very similar to like a breathalyzer. You connect it to your dash. Yeah. <laughs> and instead of you breathing into it as other actions, activity, uh, maybe that's how they're collecting information. I have no idea.
0: I don't know. But but Nissan went to go, he, further goes on to reserve the rights to share and sell, quote, uh, Preferences, characteristics, psychological trends, uh, predispositions, behaviors, attitudes, intelligence, ability, and aptitudes. I really don't know how my car is collecting that, but I'm not going to buy a Nissan.
1: Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I definitely will stay away from a Nissan as well. That's, that's really bizarre. And I agree. I think some of this can be catch-all. Maybe they're thinking about future products. Maybe they're developing products right now to help with that. But I cannot see a scenario where I am going to spend intimate moments with my tailpipe just to collect information about my health information or my my health and then, you know, uh, have the Nissan read back to me, you know, kind of where I stand. I'm not really sure I'm
0: into that. Mm, banana in the tailpipe, huh? There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Did you see what Mercedes-Benz their cars come with TikTok? We've talked about TikTok all the time and how insecure and how government agencies uh, won't allow, you know, TikTok to be connected to their uh, networks or be on their devices. And now Mercedes-Benz comes with TikTok pre-installed in the infotainment center.
1: Well, now let's think about that, right? So we know now that in certain states and it, it might be federal at some point in the future, you cannot have TikTok installed on like government phones, right? Government property devices. Um, or even, I think, wasn't there one state that said you cannot even have TikTok in like a government building? I forgot which one. Texas,
0: right? Texas. We, we did the story. Yeah. They, you can't, it can't be on a device that connects to any of their networks.
1: But what happens if one of those Texas buildings has an underground parking? And you drive into your Mercedes. Was, was that? not that going to cause some issues? I mean, I guess the Texas Rangers are going
0: to take you out of your car, prone you out, and put your ass in jail.
1: Yeah, you don't want to, you don't want to mess around with the Texas Rangers. Those guys are serious. No, <laughs> no. By the way, have you ever met one, like in real life? A Texas yeah. Ranger?
0: Yes. How are they? Yeah. um, They're all right. all right. Cool, cool, cool. Yeah, yeah. So I'm not going to talk shit about any, any law enforcement. No, I'm not saying. Try that. to catch me there. Don't <laughs> try to social engineer me. That was not my intention, bro. <laughs>
1: I, I, You know, so, when you watch TV or something, you're like, holy shit, these, these right. Rangers are pretty cool. It's also, like, you know, how people look at FBI agents on TV, and like, oh, my God, FBI agents are really cool.
0: Wait, are you talking about Walker, Texas Ranger? Nah, bro.
1: You know yeah, what? That was a, a great show. George.
0: Yeah, check Norris. Come on, bro. That was a great show. But no, that's yeah. about
1: that. I was actually thinking about the uh, uh, <laughs> in a police interrogation I told you about uh, not that long ago. Uh, And that guy was so badass in the interrogation. Like, damn, these Rangers are freaking wild.
0: So anyways, Mozilla said it was unable to determine whether the brand's encrypted any of the data they collected. So your car's collecting it. It's pushing it up to the mothership. And uh, we don't even know if it's encrypted or not or how it's traveling. So, oh, man, pay a lot of money for them just to collect information about you and then sell it to others. But that's another rant. Yeah, man. I mean,
1: it really goes into a bunch of if we go into this topic, brother, and we just like really beat it down and, and kind of go you know, deep dive into it, it goes into all like so many different umbrella discussions and arguments and debates that we're having here in the United States, and I'm sure many of you out there uh, in Europe, in Asia, um, and Asia, in other places, you guys are dealing with as well. Which is, if you buy something, the assumption is that it is yours. Now, there in certain circumstances, at least here in the United States, if you buy like a certain farming equipment. It's yours, but if you modify it, that, that might cause you problems. It also reminds me of like supercars. You, you could buy a certain supercar, but the moment you paint it or do something beyond the scope of, of what it came like from factory, you could even be banned or sued by the manufacturer. And to me, that's just bizarre. So yeah, if I'm buying a car, I'm expecting that I have control of my own privacy. And it, it is a shame that I have to, in order for me to purchase a car, I have to agree to a privacy conditions that violates my privacy and i'm not i'm not for it
0: i have two different cars that uh every time i get in and start them i have to agree to the privacy conditions isn't that insane you have to hit a button on the on the radio in order for the radio to work you have to say i agree or accept well and this is where you know we we take
1: advantage of the free market and we start to look for vehicles that don't don't force us into that predicament because that's a difficult situation to be in
0: I have another one. I just got a 55 Chevy pickup, and it. it does not have that. So back in 1955, there was no privacy. Nice. Me. Very nice. Well, yeah. Oh, man. So you're building a car project? Uh, no, it's already built. It's uh, I, There's things I have to work on it, yeah. but uh, it's pretty much done. Wow. Th- that is that's amazing. So it's for my little girl. It's her car, not mine. What? Oh, yeah. man. You got to show me pictures later. She's. I will. I will. She uh, She loves it. So she's driving it to high school. So.
1: No way. She's driving around a
0: 55? Yeah, with a 350 small block in it. Nice. That's not bad, bro. That's so, not bad. Yeah.
1: Well, lesson Lesson here, ladies and gentlemen. It's time to buy classic cars.
0: And you know what? Yes. <laughs> yeah, I'm starting that trend. Yes. I'm with so, it, man. Privacy. Yeah, the engine is way too loud to even record anything in the car. So <laughs> <laughs> it's got straight pipes out the back. So. Oh, nice. <laughs> Hector and I are extremely happy to partner with DeleteMe. Not only is DeleteMe a great company to work with, their product is easy to use and provides a great service for those of us who are serious about our cybersecurity. DeleteMe can be found at the domain joindeleteme.com. Again, guys, there's cyber squatters out there that are trying to uh, glom on to DeleteMe's great product and trick you guys into going to different domains. But DeleteMe is at the domain joindeleteme.com. Hector used Delete Me long before starting the podcast because of DeleteMe's proven track record for removing our private information from over 750 data brokers. Hector's praise of Delete Me has convinced me to start using the services too. We talk about personally identifiable information, or PII, being stolen on the show all the time. Every week there's a new breach we discuss with millions of records being exposed. Data brokers are out there collecting your stolen information 24 seven. Cyber criminals are using your personally identifiable information for things like opening lines of credit, making purchases on your credit cards, and even stealing your tax refunds. Delete.me is working hard to remove your PII from these data brokers. Delete.me removes private information from hundreds of data brokers. Delete.me has over 100 million successful opt-out removals completed by their privacy advisors. The service is easy to use. Your welcome email will get you started by submitting your information. Then, Delete.me's experts will find and remove your personal information. The removal process starts, and you will receive a detailed Delete.me report in seven days. Then, Delete.me scans and deletes your information all year long. Delete.me's mission is simple, to remove customers' information from search results. As you all know, and we talk about every week, this is an important step to securing your online world. Through our partnership with Delete.me, Hacker and the Fed listeners get 20% off all consumer plans with the code, Fed 20. That's FED20. That's fed D two zero. So go to me.com slash FED, F-E-D, and use code FED20 for 20% off. This is a great service and it really helps support our show. Again, go to joindeleteme.com slash FED, F-E-D, and use code FED20, two zero for 20% off all consumer plans. Microsoft finally explains cause of Azure breach. An engineer's account was hacked. Hector, this was a really good read. I really enjoyed this one. We covered this story a while back. Uh, a U.S. senator was complaining about Microsoft getting hacked into and not securing its stuff. Um, come to find out, you you know, get to the end of the story. Man, these guys really dug deep in order to make this hack happen.
1: They absolutely did. And, you know, I liked the... Like the incident response report. Well, I like the I like the work that Microsoft did to identify the potential attack path, even putting together a timeline. It goes to show that as an organization, they may have been able to prevent this, right? But let's that's let's, let's just put that to the side. But they had some solid logging. They were able to identify how it happens, um, when it happens, and the consequences, you know. So big shout out to them for doing the work. It would have been great if they could have avoided it entirely, but um you know it's it's good to see that they they're you know they're they're in a good position to collect enough information to kind of uh, uh know what exactly happens in these situations you know there are many times when a company gets hacked and you know logs are removed and drives or or file systems are completely overwritten, and you have zero idea as to how that happens you know what i mean so I uh, love this read. I agree with you on
0: this one. Yeah, it's a good read, guys. Uh, make sure you hit, click the article. But We'll go through. So Microsoft uh, has said roughly 25 organizations had one or more of their accounts breached in the campaign between May 15th and June 16th. Um, and Microsoft wasn't aware of the hack until a customer had tipped them off. Um, but apparently a, a corporate account of one of their engineers was hacked into. So it was a highly skilled threat actor that acquired a, a signing key. Can you explain what a signing key is? Yeah, absolutely. In this case,
1: we're talking about a private key that can be used for like a digital signature. So when you when you download a binary, let's say from Microsoft or another vendor, if you were to go into properties and take a look at you know who registered or rather uh, who the binary was signed by, you might see a little section in, in the property section um, or, or prompt, but it will tell you exactly. Um, you know, where to find that information, or rather what what organization signed the binary. My bad. So basically, at this point, if you have a private key and you are a vendor, you can sign a binary, and uh, depending on the policy that you have enforced on uh, your operating system, in this case Windows, uh, the binary would run. If it's unsigned and or untrusted, then it would not run, or it would, prompt, it would give you some sort of prompts that you would have to then authorize the binary from uh, to execute, right? So very similar to... Uh, uh, private key publicly authentic public key authentication. Um you can use it for signing things like binaries, um, git commits, application bundles for like mobile apps, et cetera. You get the idea.
0: So the hacker is attracted by again, you know we all love this at hacker in the Fed. Uh, Storm0558. I don't know what the hell that name is. Uh, again, it's uh dragon's hemorrhoid or whatever it could be microsoft has described storm 0558 as a chinese based threat actor uh with activity and methods consistent with espionage objectives um that's what they say and so their targets were against u.s and european diplomats economics uh legislative government bodies as u.s senate um individuals connected with geopolitical interest media companies think tanks and telecommunication equipment and service providers They got inside the corporate network for more than a month, and they gained access to Azure and Exchange accounts, several of which were later identified as belonging to the U.S. Department of State and the U.S. Department of Commerce. Uh, They apparently obtained an expired Microsoft account consumer signing key and used it to forge tokens for Microsoft's supposedly fortified Azure AD cloud service. So this is what Microsoft put out originally, um, and the disclosure had left two questions. How do they use credentials as sensitive as consumer signing keys stolen from the Microsoft network? And how could it sign tokens for Azure, uh, which is built on an entirely different infrastructure? This is kind of what what they've come out with now, and this is what was answered. And so entrusted employees only have these signing keys. They do a background check on these employees, and they only use dedicated workstations with multi-factor authentication um, that use hardware token devices. They don't have access to email, conferencing, web searching, or anything like that. They're not allowed on these machines. Uh, and the environment is segmented from the rest of the Microsoft network. So how did they get access to the tokens? The safeguards broke down in, in April of 2011, two years before Storm gained access to the network. Um, a workstation in the dedicated production environment crashed. Um, so what happens when a machine crashes is Windows performs a standard crash dump. And have you ever dealt with a crash dump, Hector?
1: Oh, absolutely. There's been plenty of times when I'm doing a, a pen test or a red team engagement and a compromised system, um, and I can't leverage my current credentials or privileges. So I'm looking around for logs, um, any sort of log files. They may have interesting information, including crash dumps, because they will have whatever that's stored in memory at the moment into the file.
0: But isn't it, isn't it standard for a crashed dump not to, to include things uh, like these signing keys or sensitive login credentials?
1: It depends, right? It depends on the application, how the application stored data into memory. At the end of the day, unless unless the application, you know, use some sort of feature to hide, you know, sensitive credentials in some some way, whether it's encryption or something else, it's going to show up in plain text. I, at least from the dumps that I've seen, both on Linux and Windows.
0: So we have a crash. We have a Windows crash. Now, luckily, it's Microsoft, so you know, they, even they're saying that their stuff crashes. Um, in this production environment, this crash happens. Um, they take the dump uh, of what's in there with, with all the data stored in memory in the dump, and they take the crash report and move it over to Microsoft's de- debugging environment. So now we're out of the protected environment over into the debugging environment. And then the hack of the engineer's corporate account allowed access to the crash dump. So a crash happened two years ago. These hackers got into the network, and they found this crash dump, went through, and found the expired exchange signing key. Um, and normally, the like I said, the crash dumps strip out the signing key, um, but there was a flaw in the system. So it was a vulnerability known as a race condition that prevented the mechanism from working properly. Um, and with this signing key, these guys were able to uh, to forge tokens for sen- the sensitive key and now they had access to the cloud accounts pretty cool hack pretty cool hack that these uh, these guys are going in and finding a crash dump from two years earlier uh and able to pull a key out of it
1: yeah i mean wow amazing when you think about all of the kind of the safety features and, and safety net that microsoft had employed here i mean the, the
0: it was air gapped i mean you an air gap is a computer system that doesn't touch an internet computer Um, So, you know, the FBI has an air gap system, the internal uh, FBI systems, and the computers can't be within three feet of each other.
1: Mm. Wow. So that's interesting. Now, you know, what I find interesting about this article here as well is that it said, you know, the, the implication is the safeguards broke down around April of 2021. Does that mean from April 2021, those safeguards were not active and thus it allowed the attacker to log into the corporate account and then gain access to the crash dump? Or... Did all of this happen during April 2021, and the attacker was able to log into the corporate account, somehow circumvent MFA, and somehow reach that device that contained the crash dump that should have been essentially air-gapped?
0: No, I read it as the the safeguard was the breakdown was the moving the crash dump from the protected environment over into their de- debugging environment. Ah, so and that uh, the the race condition that prevented the 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 key from not being um, written to the to the crash dump, interesting. I think that's really the, the safeguards that broke down is the key. If there is a dump, the key shouldn't be put into the dump, and then you shouldn't move the dump over to an internet connected machine from a protected environment. Yeah, so
1: it seems like there were a lot of this. This is like uh, what's that movie where you know, uh, <laughs> that movie where a decent
0: proposal? No, no, no.
1: <laughs> not a decent proposal, my friend. It's a good one, though. Thank you. <laughs> What's the one where, like, the, the, there's like a bunch of teenagers they're all hanging out, and then like they find some sort of idol or something, and then they all start dying, but the way they die is all in, insane. Showgirls? Nah, not Showgirls. And not Magic Mike either, man. I us
0: going to Magic Mike next.
1: Damn it. <laughs> we
0: think too much alike.
1: I know, man. We spent too much talk, too much time talking, for sure. Uh, but oh, no, it's Magic just one Mike of those- was my go-to. Oh man, have you ever seen that movie? By the way. No, I have not. <laughs> I don't know, man. I, that, that delayed response makes you worried. <laughs> but yeah, no, it's just it just seems like they had some solid safeguards in place and a breakdown happened. And it does happen. Things like this do happen. I'm sure that now, you know, after they've done kind of their post-mortem research and investigation, they will probably have to come up with ways to better improve this. Now, think about it like this, audience. You and I and Chris, we have this conversation every week about – how to safeguard ourselves and how to implement ser- um, you know, certain pr- uh, procedures or mechanisms in place or configurations to help mitigate potential attacks against us personally, right? This right here shows you that even with a multi-billion dollar business, with uh, security teams and security programs, policies, and all that good stuff, these breakdowns still can occur. So definitely something to think about and keep in mind as you kind of move forward and always keep in mind that, yes, yeah, some this stuff might happen regardless of the, of, the, uh, of the actions you've taken to be preventative in your security measures.
0: The breakdown is sneaker net. Do you, do you, there you go. You, are you familiar with the term sneaker net? Of course, man. Yeah. So, so the audience that doesn't know. It's, it's moving uh, information from one, like a classified network, onto an unclassified network. You, you use your sneakers. You, you carry it from one machine to another. So you pop a thumb drive in, copy a file, and then move it over and that that's how classified information or, or sensitive information like this moves on to you know internet accessible machines so yeah you know, you know the army solution was for that years ago what they walked around with super glue and squeezed it in all the usb ports ah yes yes absolutely so that that was their solution that's that's what they came up with and it sounds silly but it it solved the you know people weren't throwing thumb drives in their machines the next story is Hacker Group disguised as marketing company to attack enterprise targets. Oh, Hector, another, another hacker name, <laughs> APT34, also known as Oil Rig, no. also known as Helix Kitten. Oh, <laughs> it should have left it at APT34, man. I'm telling you, man, I'm going to start a Dragon's Hemorrhoid. is going to be my hacker group. So, <laughs> see it, so,
1: At the very least, make a band out of it, bro.
0: Yeah, so APT34 slash oil rig slash Helix Kitten, believed to originate in Iran, uh, been active since 2014, and they specialize in cyber espionage and sabotage, um, operating primarily in the Middle East, targeting finance, government, energy, chemical, and telecommunications. They are disguising themselves as a marketing company in order to go after people. Pretty interesting stuff, right? Yeah.
1: Well, I mean, look, we've discussed before about the insider threats plenty of times. Uh, We've also read stories or we've heard stories of organizations being breached by uh, bad actors who go through the interview process. And, you know, they apply for jobs. And once they get in, they're there to do uh, espionage and steal information, exfiltrate data. Um, There's at least one crypto exchange that was compromised in this way where at least attempts uh, were made against that that, uh, exchange. I'm not surprised by this. I think that we're probably going to see more and more of this. I think that um, you know what organizations need to be aware of is that your security policy should be enforceable for all of your employees. Here's what I mean by that: if your interns have to use a physical key to log into their workstations, and they have MFA and all these different steps, and they have to follow your directives and communicate with the security team once. Uh, you know, they, they identify a potential issue like a social engineering email, for example. You know, that's fine. That sounds great. I, that sounds like a solid strategy, at least to start. But your marketing people, your sales people, your accounting folks, sending and emailing each other and with attachments and emailing and sending information back and forth um, from their personal cell phones is not good. Now, I'm not saying that's what happened here with the victims here, but what I am saying is that when you have certain employees who's, you know, part of their business process or their day-to-day business, um, um, you know, uh, activities include the transfer of information back and forth with potential third parties, then you need to look at your endpoint security measures. And uh, you also need to, you know, make sure that you're putting mitigations in place uh, or technical controls in place to help mitigate something like this. So what do we have here? We have bad actors pretending to be um, some sort of marketing firm sending out uh, malicious documents that have payloads inside of them. And you know what? That is a very common, Chris, feel free to correct me on this, very common and not so new, um, you know, attack methodology. The only difference here is that the attackers are pretending to be a potential partner or marketing uh, organization rather than your CEO, which is tried and true and old. Uh, and, and somewhat played out.
0: Yeah. So it's, you know, the articles there, guys, if you, the, in, the, the indications of compromise are, are in the article, um, you know, it tells you about the Trojan, what they send the executable. Um, where it uploads into the system failure reports directory. And so, you know, it's, it, it employs some anti-sandbox measures, so it's a little bit sophisticated. You know, it's an, it's another thing out there just, you know, giving you a tip off of, you know, how these guys are trying to get into our systems over and over, over again, this time disguising as a, a marketing company. Fun times. Be careful, folks. <laughs> this one is, a, is, the next story is a, a tip to uh, Google's threat anal- analysis group or... TAG. It's Active North Korea Campaign Targeting Security Reachers. Ah. So uh, since January of 21, uh, disclosed a campaign from the government-backed actors in North Korea who use zero-day exploits to target security researchers working on vulnerability research and development. I know we do it almost every week, Hector, but why don't you give the audience just a a quick rundown of what a zero-day exploit is?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, a zero-day vulnerability is a vulnerability that's it's unknown to the vendor or unpatched, okay? And a zero-day exploit is an exploit that has been created to, to engage that vulnerability um, and exploit the, the actual weakness. Once the exploit is run, it'll, like I said, it'll engage that weakness and it'll automate the execution of commands that normally wouldn't run on your system and you probably would not want to run a system uh, nonetheless. What's fascinating about this, my friend, Chris, here, is that very similar to the previous story we just read, this also included a bit of social engineering and pretending to be something that you're not in order to trick um, employees of organizations um, with the intent of hopefully compromising them by means of the zero day. You know, it's, it's pretty bizarre to see this stuff happening and taking place. I'm not surprised, um, but a big shout out for the, you know, the Google team uh, at the Threat Analysis Group, Putting this together and giving us some, some good information to work with. Um, and I'm hoping that when it comes to organizations building training material, you could use articles like Google Tags here or even the previous one that we read to kind of give you some perspective on what kind of payloads to build for your training sessions.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, they've been monitoring these guys for a while and trying to disrupt their operations, but they're finding that threat actors are now using social media like uh, X. Um, to build rapport with their targets, and they're carrying out much-long conversations attempting to collaborate on security research on topics of mutual interest. Um, so that's how they're trying to get in there and kind of wind and dine them a little bit. And then they move over to an encrypted messaging app like Signal or WhatsApp or Wire, and a relationship's developed with the, the targeted researcher, uh, and the threat actor sends a, then sends the malicious file that contains at least one zero-day uh, in the popular package software. So that's really what they're doing i'm sure they're going after you know guys you know white hats out there that are doing it uh, college researchers are, are targeting um and they're really trying to just take over their machines by their research you know uh, you know a lot of uh, you know china's done that a lot in, for you know in, in cyber hacks in the past where the the big target is research and development so they don't want to spend the money doing the research and development so they steal the intellectual property um, from U.S. companies and U.S. researchers.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's a great point. I'm glad you brought that up. I mean, it wasn't that long ago, maybe a few years ago, where you had Mozilla's uh, Bugzilla Tracker, Bug Tracker, that was breached by means of a social engineering campaign. And the attacker was able to log in as as a moderator or, or researcher and get access to a ton of browser-based security bugs or bugs that were tagged as security findings. And then, of course, send that off to the R&D teams to build exploits for the browser. You know, I have to say that we've been seeing, and Chris, we've talked about similar engagements not that long ago of, of Dread Actors uploading like malicious exploits to GitHub. So for those of you, and, and I'm sure some of you may remember exactly what we're talking about here, but to give you some context, um, once a vulnerability is discovered and researchers start to get involved and researching the topic, researching the vulnerability, they may post something called a proof of concept on GitHub or similar. And other researchers will go on GitHub, you know, and, and kind of see if they could find any proof of concept they could play with. And they will execute those proof of concepts, uh, which, if malicious, will execute malicious code on the researcher's computer. Now, imagine this. Imagine that you are an organization, and you guys have your own security team, and you want to be ahead of the curve. You want to test uh, a potential vulnerability, you do, you find a proof of concept, you run it, and now you've compromised your organization. That's how easy it is. You got to be very careful as you're downloading proof of concepts or anything from third-party researchers that you do not um, you know, trust and, uh, and validate their intentions.
0: So yeah, and I, you know, like I said, this is a great write-up by Google's Threat Analysis Group. Um, they reached out to the vendor uh, about the vulnerability. Um, they're not providing the technical details yet, but because it's not been patched, it's in the process of being patched. Um, but once it gets patched, they'll put out the you know the full technical details of the exploit and how it was involved. So we'll follow up with that. But really, if you want to talk about having all the indications of compromise and all that, they go way into it. They give you addresses um, like this. This group was using twitter.com slash paul091 underscore. Um, they give you URLs of domains they were using, the IP addresses, um, all these things that you can go and look back through your, your network logs um, to see if there's anyone in your organization that they're trying to reach out to or maybe communicating with. Uh, again, big shout out to Google and what they're doing here to, to, to put cybersecurity uh, moving forward. Oh, yeah. So... A Russian InfoSec boss gets nine years for a $100 million insider trading caper using stolen data. Oh, wow. I'm not even going to try to butcher his name. Um, (laughs) We'll just call him Vlad. Um, Is the Russian owner of a security pen testing um, firm, M13. Have you uh, come across M13 in any of your dealings?
1: No, no, not at all.
0: So Vlad's 42 years old and hails from uh, Moscow. Um, was put in jail for nine years in the U.S. for stealing top corporations' confidential financial information to make $93 million through insider trading. Um, I guess he and his family uh, wanted to hop on a private jet for a little holiday, and they went over to Switzerland in March of 2021. Unbeknownst to him, uh, there was a red notice out for him, and he got snatched up and now has been extradited to the United States and faced trials. Um, He was charged with security fraud, wire fraud, and gaining unauthorized access to computers and conspiracy and found guilty in Boston. So uh, good on you, Boston, for this arrest. Um, Two of his co-conspirators, alleged Russian co-conspirators, Ivan and Nikolai, are still at large and looking for him. But apparently this crew broke into computer networks to seal company's financial filings before they were made public so that the stock could be illegally traded um, with the privileged information. So that's for how they did it. So apparently Vlad was a former GRU officer. And the GRU, uh, for those who don't know, is the Russian main intelligence directorate. Um, wow. So, so he, was, uh, he was tied in there. Gr- uh, uh, Putin was the head of GRU back in the day. Oh yeah. So he went up through there. So just give you a little flavor of where this guy worked, but insider trading, man, it's not, it's, you're going to get caught. If you are making more money outside of what the normals are, they are going to, uh, they're going to track you down and figure you out. Uh, and 93 million was a lot to be found out. Well, I mean, unless you your a congressman then, then <laughs> oh, or, or married to one.
1: Yeah. Oh wow. You're you throwing, you throwing some uh, some daggers out here, my friend.
0: <laughs> well, it's true. I mean, it's it's public information that there are you know congressmen out there that are better traders than uh, the professional traders. So, but I mean, ninety three million dollars you make in the stock market that's going to throw up some red flags, and they're going to start looking at your accounts.
1: One hundred percent. I mean, we we've discussed this plenty of times offline and online. You know, we've we've seen or we've discussed stories where. You know, there may be potential insider threat. Uh, uh, I would say intra- insider trading as a result of like an insider threat. Uh, in this case, it seems like these guys use, um, you know, they're good for bad, right? I mean, these, these are basically uh, white hats that were breaking into systems, uh, supposed white hats. Uh, their website is still online. They still are, are offering services. Um, you know, I'm, I'm taking a look at their site right now, and I got to say, it, it seems like a legitimate business. You know, if they, were, if they were honestly rocking $93 million, they probably could have hired a better web designer. But that's just me throwing the dagger now, okay? Um, well,
0: don't throw it through stones. The hacker in the Fed might get some thrown stones back at it. <laughs> well, they're not going to do anything with our ninety <laughs> style website, man.
1: So, you know, I'm happy with it.
0: That's true. That's true.
1: But yeah, you know, it's, it's actually very funny because one of the services they sell is as advanced persistent threat emulation. Look at that. I got this. This is right from their website. The most sound and modern method of testing and analyzing the infrastructure, infrastructure security. Our experts imitate a full-scale targeted attack, during which the attacker, while trying to conceal his presence, uses a wide range of actions against the organization's infrastructure. You know what? We just solved the case. They're not actually hackers, my friend. This was an advanced persistent threat emulation against the stock market. Oh, okay. Well,
0: uh, too (laughs) bad he didn't call you for his defense. (laughs) Too late on that one.
1: Oh, he would have got blazed. Maybe
0: Ivan and Nikolai will call you for their defense when they hear this, but... but Vlad had been previously indicted in July of 2018 for participating in a scheme to compromise the 2016 election. Um, He also was indicted that same year in October uh, for participating in commuter crimes and disinformation operations targeting anti-doping sports agencies and officials. I guess that's when Russia got in trouble with the uh, Olympic uh, drug stuff. But yeah, so they hacked into American networks and they used the, use the, information they obtained to illegally make money in the American stock market. I don't know how they didn't think they'd get caught I mean honestly
1: I gotta say these guys as much as they hate uh, American society and American culture and everything American they, they shoot they sure do like those American uh, greenbacks.
0: That's true. Ninety three million is a lot. So but uh, so the quote was from uh, the prosecutors. He thought he could get away with his crimes by perpetrating them from a foreign base, hidden behind layers of fake domain names, private virtual networks and computer service rented under pseudonyms and paid forth with cryptocurrency. So all of those things, the prosecutors and law enforcement in the United States was able to crack through and get these guys so good on them
1: ah, yeah yeah absolutely big shout out to to the to the, the folks involved that uh kind of tracked this down track these guys down uh put this investigation together they obviously did a great job here i'm surprised you only got nine years look at the timeline let's look at the timeline for a second if you don't mind right sure so he was part of the gru okay yep He was previously indicted in 12, 2018 for participating in a scheme to compromise the 2016 election that's yep. huge that's national security level um, you know, meddling right there.
0: Um, I'm going to guess also, there's going to be a trial soon if he's uh, now been in jail. He's sitting yeah. in a U.S. jail and has been indicted. There's probably going to be a trial here.
1: Yeah, man. And then he's also indicted in 2018 for participating in computer crimes and disinformation operations. If this guy was active during that time frame, I wouldn't be surprised if this guy is involved with, like, Guccifer 2. Remember that? That random Russian actor or pretended to be a Russian actor at that point? Yeah, of course I remember Guccifer 2.
0: I was uh, I did an NBC News uh, uh, piece for that. Um, it was a very strange thing. No way. Thing. Yeah. yeah. I, I actually flew that the night it aired, so I taped it in the morning. I was on a plane, and it was on, like, nine screens uh, around me while it was on. And... Um, and no one noticed. It was sad. Like nobody noticed? Oh, man. Yeah, I'm sitting right next to people. It was literally on the screens in front of us, and nobody, like, looked over at me. Oh, man, that's
1: funny. You know, i got to say, man, you know, I, I, not, to, not to deviate too much from, from our structure here, but you come up in the most random places, i got to say, man. <laughs> in terms of your cases that come up or even interviews and stuff, um, I was telling you the other day, one of, one of my girls was watching uh, a documentary, and she saw your face right on it. She's like, oh, my God, what is he doing on this? Um, so yeah, you, you, have definitely led an interesting life.
0: <laughs> yeah. I think the one that, that got me the most is, uh, I was asked to be a part of a display in, you mean, you ever heard of the New Zam in D- Washington DC? I think they've, they've gone out of business after COVID, but it was right there next to the national archives, uh, on the Mall. I was in a video piece for in, in a museum, so um, oh, I, I took my family down there and you know walked through. They have a whole big like law enforcement uh, FBI section with like they have like the the guy who parked the bomb in the middle of Times Square, like the cars right there. They got a piece of the Unabomber's hut right there, um, and then I'm on like, this video thing. Like we're answering questions where you like go through and you hit buttons, and I answer like Silk Road questions. What? Um, That's pretty. And cool. so I stood next to this thing, and people would just hit buttons. Nobody recognized me. I literally was in the museum, my face answering questions on the screen, and not a person, not a single person recognized me.
1: It'd be that way, bro. I mean, I- I've had the opposite effect. I'll be honest with you. There was a time when I traveled to like St. Louis or whatever for an event. I forgot where it was, man. Maybe Detroit, and I got recognized by like the bellboy. Like he came up to me, and he was like, "Hey, I've seen you before." I'm like, "I don't, I don't think so, buddy." He's like, "Yeah, I saw you on TV with like Charlie Rose." I'm like, "Oh, damn." <laughs> Well, it's a pleasure. <laughs> so it's weird when that happens, though, bro. Like it always takes me by surprise. Yeah,
0: it is what it is. Uh, you know, I, I've been recognized a couple places, but uh, I kind of like to be honest. I like being under the radar. Oh yeah, hundred percent. All right, next story: United States, United Kingdom sanction additional members of the Russian-based TrickBot cybercrime uh, cyber gang. United States, in coordination with the United Kingdom, sanctioned 11 individuals who were part of the Russian-based Trickbot Cybercrime Group. Man, the United States is getting those Russians this week on Hacker and the Fed. Yeah,
1: man. They've been very busy. It almost makes me wonder how much more indictments they have prepared and ready to go.
0: <laughs> well, then that last story, those indictments from 2018 and two th- uh, for the two different, uh, July and October 2018, I don't think I knew about them. I mean, I guess maybe they were just unsealed um this week but since he was arrested yeah i I don't even you know the stories that are apart so getting you know we talk about you know all this you know ransomware happening over in russia and they're untouchable well looks like they're touchable now so good on you know doj and all the stuff they're doing get these guys
1: yeah i mean like i said before big shout out to the folks involved in investigating these guys and, and tracking them you know, you, you know where I, how I feel about these guys. It, the reality is, like, once you start hitting hospitals and you start hitting, you know, mom and pop shops, and, and you're just abusive and a freaking jerk along the way, you know, it's just it's just you know, it's, it's, it's despicable to me.
0: This one's an interesting read. You go through it because um, the targets uh, in the in the indictment uh, they had roles such as administrators, managers, developers, coders. There's even an HR guy. He was the HR guy of a ransomware scheme. So, you know, really good that they're breaking these down and going after all these guys. I mean, that, that case I told you, Operation Ghost click. I guess they sort of had the same thing. They had the main guy, and they had guys that just set up servers, guys that procured servers. So I, don't, I guess I shouldn't be so shocked that that's how these groups work now because there's so much money involved in it. You, you, you kind of have to run it like a business, but it's always interesting to read.
1: Well, think about it like this. Even back in the days when I was a bad actor, and I would put together a group. We would do it for free. Not this stuff. We were not into ransomware. I assure you of that. Um, but we would operate very similar to having a hierarchy, right? They would have there'd be leadership roles and and you know specific roles for like uh, you know routers or, or or people that would just break into machines uh, specific to Unix or folks that were you know, targeting Windows environments, folks that had a good understanding of networking and network engineering. Um, so it, it was it was a distribution. Uh, of of skill sets that, you know, really took us far, right? So I, I'm not surprised that this is a thing because we've seen it with other groups like, uh, you know, Last Stage of Delirium in Poland and Team Tesla out of Germany and other places. But the fact that these guys are using that in ransomware operations is, is, uh, is interesting to see that they've basically turned it into a business because now it's monetized. Though I think the one thing that I've noticed from these guys, these cases, especially out of Russia is that, yes, you could have all that money. You know, you have $100 million sitting in your, in your Bitcoin wallet. But once you try to, you know, exchange it or, or cash it out, you may be able to cash out small amounts. But once you start going into bigger amounts, or once you want to, like, travel the world, that's where you get screwed. Look at this guy from the, the
0: previous story. Taking the private jet to Switzerland with a little family outing. Then next thing you know, yada, 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 you're in U.S. jail for nine years. Yeah. Oof. So, but yeah, no, these guys are real assholes. So the trick bot guys, they first identified in 2016, but then during COVID, um, you know, they started targeting healthcare providers. So screw them. Oh I, yeah, I'm glad, you know, I'm glad they got the sanctions. Uh, hopefully we can get our hands on them soon. Um, but I, am going to guess since, uh, the indictments were unsealed that they're not going to be traveling outside the, the Russia, I, I would guess Russia probably even pulls their passports so they can't travel. Um, because the Rus- the Russians don't want these guys locked up. Yeah, but also,
1: I'm sure the Russians are knocking on the door. It's like, hey, we hear you have $93 million stashed somewhere. Uh, you mind giving that up?
0: <laughs> or, or you're going to be found, you know, you're going to wake up in the middle of New York City. Yeah, yeah, there you go. <laughs> <Duh>. <laughs> All right, Hector, um, listen to questions. If people want to reach out to us, reach out to us at questions at HackerInTheFed.com. We have a lot of questions. I think next week, we're gonna let's make it a, a, a question-only uh, show. Okay. We'll go through all the questions. A lot of great questions coming in from guys. Nick, Jesse, uh, Renee, M, Kevin, Lucia, Robert, all you guys, we're going to answer your questions next week. Um, we'll go through them and many more. Um, we'll make it a whole whole episode next week. What do you think of that? Love it, man. I'm I'm with it. We haven't had a audience questions episode
1: in quite some time. So I think it, it's time.
0: Yeah, it's good. I'm sure there'll be a ton of news stories come out. I mean, I know you're, that we just saw that uh, MGM, the big casino out in Las Vegas, just had to shut down all of their operations to to a cyber attack. So I'm sure there's going to be big cyber news this week. Um, may, maybe we cover one or two if we have to next week. But outside of that, just listener questions. So I'm excited. So get your questions in at questions at HackerInTheFed.com.
1: Yes, please. The more questions, the better. We're going to have an awesome episode next week. And uh,
0: send us all the good stuff, please. So, you want to support the show? Uh, please go to hackerinthefed.com and get your Hacker in the Fed merchandise, hoodies, t shirts, custom orders. We ship internationally. A lot of merchandise moving out these days, but every little bit helps. So, go out there and help support our show. Hackerinthefed.com for your, for your merchandise, your hoodies, and t shirts. So, new episode every Thursday. Download, and subscribe, and get the word out there, guys. Tell everybody, tell your friend, what you know, Cybersecurity Podcast. These guys have fun doing it. We make it a a good time, uh, but really trying to grow the audience and get more and more so we can stay on the airwaves. That's right. Have safe travels travels this week, Hector. And uh, I enjoyed our conversation, and I will talk to you next week.
1: All right, my friend. It's been a pleasure as always. Cheers.
0: Cheers.